have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter 15. We're going to dig into that primarily today. But um, we have to build a good foundation because God is doing something in our church right now. It's evident in my spirit. It's evident, I think, even in our environment here on Sunday morning. Uh, It's evident in the testimonies I'm receiving throughout the week. Things that are being stirred up, conversations that are being had, miracles that are happening in the body and in your workplaces, in your homes, in your relationships. So what I'm saying, though, is we have to build this good foundation. Um, And I'm going to explain kind of where we're at as a church in a minute. But when I was in college, um, I would work for Ashley's cousin who had a construction company on the side just kind of make a couple bucks to get through college. I think at that point I was getting paid $6.50 an hour doing construction, like doing the mason stuff, like, you know, dragging blocks, you know, slinging mud, the whole thing. It was not fun at all for me. Um, But I remember one winter day, Joe, her cousin, is up on the scaffold outside, and he is currently working on this tall chimney outside of a cold house. It's like winds blowing, there's snow on the ground. It's a nasty day. And there's Anybody know what's called a footer? Anybody know what a footer is in construction? A few. So when you build a house, you dig a trench, basically, the shape of your house. And then you pour footers, which is concrete, that has to be perfectly flattened and level to build this house. And then you build your block walls to build the foundation of the house, right? Well, the footers, the trenches were dug, and it was snowy and icy and all cold outside. And Joe's up on this scaffold, like, three stories high, working on an outdoor chimney, putting the bricks together, making it look real pretty. And meanwhile, me, at 250-some pounds, I'm in, like, the the overalls, like the big outdoor overalls, right? So I look way bigger than I am because I'm covered in insulation. I look like the marshmallow man, right? And I have gloves, and I got a hat, and I got an outer coat on, and I'm like this, trying to carry blocks around. And I I have to go get something out of the trench, that's dug for the footers, right? And I go down into the trench, and it's all cold and icy, and then I try to get back out of the trench, and that wasn't pretty. And I'm stuck on the side of this trench, this big, you guys know the movie, um, The Christmas Story, The Little Brother? That was me, right? And I'm stuck on the side of this dirt trench, and Joe was three stories up looking down at me, laughing hysterically. Like, just losing it, like, to the point where he's sitting down holding his breath, laughing at me because I'm stuck, like, this big puff on the side of a dirt hole, right? And that was at least 12, 13 years ago. Every time I see Joe, every time, he's like, man, you know what I keep thinking in my head? I'm like, yes, Joe, I know. Me, stuck in the trench. He's like, I'll never get that image out of my head. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joe. The problem was, I was stuck beneath the foundation, and the foundation wasn't laid yet. It wasn't firm. It was soft ground. So me, with all my weight, all my luggage, the bricks that I was trying to carry out, I could not get out of a place that didn't have a solid foundation. Make sense? This morning, spiritually, we're trying to go somewhere, and if we don't have a good foundation to stand on, we're not going to actually go where we need to go. Tracking with me? So that's what we are doing in City Lights. God's building a foundation. We've walked through a few different things um, over these last few weeks. The, the primary verse that we are looking at in these, these next couple of weeks and the last few weeks is Romans fourteen seventeen that says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. 
Like if you could sum up what the kingdom of God looks like, the expressions of it, it's built on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand that. That's the foundation. We looked in the beginning of this series that we started, we looked at what does it mean to see and prophesy over this city, the kingdom of God. We have to be able to believe it and declare it. That's what we did this morning in worship. It was a powerful time in my heart, prophesying and speaking the kingdom of God over the city. We looked at how we are to see ourselves and the worth that we should see in ourselves as ambassadors of the kingdom, as God's treasures. I, I listened, I was gone when Ben preached on being a treasure, and I listened to it and put the podcast up. If you haven't heard the message, listen to it. I'm sitting in the office like in tears while Ben's talking about being a treasure. I'm like weepy. I even texted him and said, Ben, great message. You have me weepy in the office. It was a great message, and it has to be a part of who we are, seeing ourselves as God sees us, understanding that. And then last week we looked at how peace is this core part of who we are as believers. If we are in Christ, we should be known for our peace. We should go into places and bring peace. We should trust that God is our defender. God is the judge. We just speak life and peace wherever we go. We don't come with our condemnation. We come with life and peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are sons of God. That's what Matthew says, what Jesus said. So that's where we are today. We're going to look at another one of these three primary things, righteousness, peace, and joy. We're going to focus on joy today, uh, which I think is very fitting with the worship that we sang this morning. We want to look at what does it mean to live with the joy of the kingdom in our lives. So if joy is an important word, how do we get joy? How does it become part of who we are? Um, I should start out by by answering what joy is not. So in Scripture, we see the word joy a lot, and then with that, we see the word, the verb, rejoicing. Rejoicing is demonstrating the joy that's inside. So to rejoice is to have joy in something and demonstrate it. Make sense? Rejoicing is an act of demonstrating internal joy. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He tells it to, says it twice. Always rejoice. Oh, let me, re- say, let me say it one more time. Always rejoice. So joy is something that's internal. Rejoicing is an external action of the internal joy that we have, and it's supposed to be always. Rejoicing is meant to be a way of life, not a momentary experience. So if we think of the word joy, it can't just be some little snapshot in our timeline. This little thing that we get here and there, a little taste of. Oh, this morning I have joy, tonight I have this. Does this make sense? In Christ, joy is a continual lifestyle, not a momentary experience. James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into different trials and temptations. When you have a trial in your life, count it joy. That means when bad things happen to you, be joyful. So what, how do we get this? Is this like a mind over matter thing? Is this something that we re- work really hard for? What does it mean to have the joy of the kingdom inside of us? You cannot command somebody to be joyful. I can't look at you and say, hey, be joyful today. You can't even look at yourself, really, and tell yourself to be joyful. Um, have, how, there's a lot of kids. And so... I'm sure some of you parents have been in a similar position where all of a sudden one of my kids has an attitude and they're pouting and they got a little sad face on. 
None of you guys, none of you parents have ever experienced this? Your kids are always full of joy in life? That's cool. Good. But there are these moments where I'll look at them and they have this angry face on over something silly like, hey, you can't drink that juice right now. Or, hey, you have to make your bed today. Things like that. And I'll say, hey, lose the attitude. They don't just lose the attitude, do they? I remember a time where I'll tell them, hey, you're not going to get the ice cream unless you get rid of that frown. You need to smile before you can get some ice cream. Telling my kids, hey, I want to see a smile right now is ridiculous. That smile that comes out of their teeth is the ugliest thing I've seen in a long time. It's like, it's just this, you guys know what I'm talking about. This force, like, I don't want to smile, but I'm going to do it. Haley's the champ at this. Like, Haley is the one. I need you to lose the attitude. I better see a smile if you want to watch TV right now. And it's like the weirdest thing. Like, what, what face is that? That's not even a smile. It's something strange. I don't know what it is. You can't, I can't make her all of a sudden be happy. I can't just force my will, be joyful, take it. Oh, I feel your joy right now. It doesn't work that way. You can't force somebody. So how do we receive internal joy? This is where John chapter 15 comes into play. Turn to John 15. We're going to start in verse 7. John 15, verse 7. In the beginning of this chapter, I'll I'll just read a a verse at the beginning here, just to set a little context. Jesus says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Abide in me, this is verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. Verse 7, let's read this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone that laid down his life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. How do we have joy, and not just joy, joy that's full? Abiding in Christ, doing what he has asked us to do, on his mission, and receiving the love that he has. Receiving his love. It is a receptive thing of us putting ourselves in the position of abiding in his presence and receiving his love for us and then living out of that. Living as not a servant or a slave, but as a friend who does the will of God. So when we do the will of God, when we live in his presence, when we're listening to his voice, our joy is full. It's complete. It's not lacking. It's not a half glass. It's not a sippy cup of joy, a little taste, a little sampler. It's a full joy when we are in his presence. Make sense? 
It's staying connected to Christ. It's abiding in Him. It's living in His presence. And doing His will, this produces joy. Full joy, not small doses. In John chapter 16, verse 16, I want to read this to you. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I want to explain. So Jesus, there's this in John 15 about abiding in his presence, living not as a servant but as a friend, living in his presence, understanding his will that our joy is full. And then he says, hey, basically, I'm going to die, and you won't see me, and you'll be sad. And they're confused by this. What are you talking about? You, you, I won't see you, and I'll be sad, and then I will see you. What, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, I'll be gone. You will mourn. But when I come back, I'll give you joy. And then nobody can take that joy from you. Let me say something. He's already gone and then come back. And we have him abiding inside of us. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we don't have to live in this state of losing joy, getting joy, losing joy, getting joy. We get to just live in the response, uh, in the, the receiving of his joy inside of us. Does that make sense? He says that nobody can take your joy from you. Let's look at our lives. <laughs> Let's look at this week. Let's look at this morning's ride to the church. Where in this week or span of time have we allowed somebody and their opinion, somebody and their action, or even our family members, or even our own views of ourselves to rob us of joy that he has declared is ours to keep? You and I don't have to live in this back and forth balancing act of losing joy. It's when we stop abiding in his presence in a knowledge of who he is and living as his friend, not as a servant or a slave with responsibilities, but as a friend on mission with the Father. It's when we lose that perspective that we lose our joy. When we don't have, what's what's the next thing at John 15? That your joy may be full and that you love one another. When we get stuck in this like, oh man, they really ticked me off mentality. Or man, I'm such a failure. We lose that joy that he has promised to us and given to us. Because in that moment, we're not abiding in his love. We're not abiding in his presence. Does that make sense? He says that when we see him, when we grab him, when we hold on to him, you, you won't see me, but then you will. And then nobody can take it. When we behold him, nobody can steal our joy. Instead, our sorrows have been turned into gladness. Our joy has returned because we behold him. 
Make sense? This morning, you and I get to live in a position of constantly beholding him. You and I get to live abiding in Christ. These are not empty promises for us. These are not wishful thinkings and mind over matter. And if I push really hard, there's something that we can just simply say, Holy Spirit, help me to abide in you. I love that that verse in Romans says that is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not in your ability, not in your personal perseverance, not in your whatever. It's in the Holy Spirit. He has given us the ability to live by the Holy Spirit. Right? Make sense? It's His presence, though, that it's His presence in our lives, it's abiding in Him that gives us real joy. For 1 Chronicles 16, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. That's where he lives. Strength and joy. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Psalms 43, then I go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He's the God of joy. That's what he is. You can stay in his presence. I want you to, I want you to understand this. Um, a few weeks ago, I was looking at John 15. And so Jesus says, I am the, bri- the, the, the vine and you are the branches. And uh, abiding in him, you, abear, you bear fruit, right? And he says that you will bear much fruit if you abide in me. I was thinking of this illustration that Jesus gives us, what it looks like to have joy and what it looks like to bear fruit in him. Have you ever seen fruit that's growing on a vine and then one day it fell off the vine and then the next day it's back on and then the next day it's off again and then the next day that fruit puts itself right back on nobody's ever seen that abiding is not this constant on and off abiding is the ability to stay connected and I love that he says the father prunes and he lifts up. Actually, the word prune really could be changed into lifting up. He lifts us up back into the vine. It's not ourselves who put ourselves on the vine. We get to stay in the vine. He has given us this promise. He's given us this declaration. We can abide in the vine. We can abide in his presence. We can bear much fruit and have full joy. I want to see a little joy on your face. Come on, give me a smile. Because I'm telling you exciting news this morning. I was up here during worship this morning, and I thought, I wonder how many churches in America don't feel joyful today. I love that line in that song that says, you haven't seen me till you've seen me filled with joy. You will not know the real you until you walk in the fullness of his joy. Every other part of you is some fake deceptive, deceived, false sense of who you are. But the true you that God has made you to be is full of joy. Got one amen. That was good, I thought. (laughs) You don't have to see him physically and be one of the original apostles to have this promise either, right? You don't have to, I think there's a lot, I know there's a lot of churches, I actually just ran into this recently, where a lot of the promises are like, oh, that was for the early church. I don't think so. Anyway, 1 Peter 1.7 says, and this is to not, not to the apostles, not to the disciples, this is to the church. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy 
that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, you haven't even seen him, but you love him, and you're filled with unexplainable, indescribable joy because you know him. Because you're in his presence, he is the, the faith inside of you is stirred up and you experience his salvation and his love and his joy for you. You and I get to live in this place. We, I love signs and wonders. I'm a charismatic guy who believes that God moves. But I don't have to have those things to still have his joy inside of me. I have a faith that he fanned into flame. Make sense? That he did something in my heart. So I don't have to lose my joy based on situations. This is a joy that's inexpressible. It's not defined by your experience or being able to see him. Galatians chapter 5 says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says those works, he, list, he gives a list of works, right? And those works are not pretty works, are they? They're ugly things. Those works, you don't see the kingdom. But the gifts of the Spirit, the, the movement of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, that's the kingdom. And there's no law against those things. There's no restriction against those things. That's where we see the God, where we see his kingdom. I'm trying, I want you to understand that this morning, it's not about working in yourself the fruits of the Spirit. It's about yielding yourself to abiding in Christ, staying in his presence, and letting him bring the kingdom out of you. It's letting him birth the kingdom in you. Acts chapter 13, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The two things go hand in hand. I don't know about you, but I, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a believer, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and joy is right there with it. Joy is found in abiding in his presence. Joy is a gift of the Spirit, not something we work up or force ourselves to become. It's a product of his presence. It's a product of who he is. I want to read something. Uh, this is actually this book was just given to me. Um, it's by Rob Kasha. We're probably going to order some of these. Rob Kasha was a pastor in the Dallas area. When we, when Jared and I visited here in 2009, and Ashley, we, we we came here to visit one night in Scranton. Rob Kasha met with us at Starbucks downtown, and he welcomed us into the city. The only person to welcome us into the city. And we sat with him at Starbucks, and he was so full of love and joy. And he's like, man, whatever we can do to help you. He's actually in California now, and he's been writing a lot. He's been doing some cool ministry. But this is a book that somebody just gave me of his, and the guys were going through it at the men's house. A little plug for the discipleship house next door. 
But it, I was looking at it as I was preparing my message. I'm like, this fits so perfectly. Rob had cancer. And this book that he wrote is called 40 Doors, Overcoming Fear, Hopelessness, and a Big Ugly Tumor with Joy. And he doesn't have cancer anymore. That's good. But anyway, joy, this is what he writes. Joy is a part of your inheritance as God's child, a foundation of your brilliant identity in Christ. Joy is the positive state of your renewed mind, the felt presence of the Holy Spirit as you deal with every relationship and situation. Living in joy is choosing to celebrate God's grace and goodness and favor toward you. It's taking pleasure in who God is for you, being confident in in who you are in him, and intentionally seeing others for the joy God has for them. It's overwhelming all your circumstances with love he has for you. It doesn't mean everything is easy and problem-free. You know that. But if you still become offended by difficult circumstances, you might look at whether you've really been leaning or learning to let God's joy displace frustration, worry, and need for control. You will run into stressful people and situations all the time. But Jesus Christ did not redeem you to see how much that, of that stress you can take before you crawl exhausted into heaven, clutching bitterly to your salvation. Joy is part of the gospel, part of your new nature in Christ. Joy really is supposed to be your new normal. We get to live in joy regardless of situations because that's what Scripture says. It's part of his identity for us. It's hanging on to that despite situations, despite opposition, despite feeling sometimes. How do we lose joy? How, how, do, how do we so often don't feel it? Make sense? I know that's not good English. When, so, two years ago, I wasn't the pastor at City Lights. I was the associate pastor. And I was content and happy. Every problem was on Jared. <laughs> I preached once a month. I did my stuff with the computer and making videos. It was nice. I'd, I'd go meet somebody for coffee, but he took the brunt of the work, right? So City of Lights lives and dies off of Jared. <laughs> I'm like, it's not me. Not me at all. And then God was clearly doing something and shifting the seasons for us and and calling him to travel and calling him to relocate to Buffalo. And I knew God was behind it, and I sensed it in my spirit. But I remember the day that Jared moved, when Jared and Aaron moved to Buffalo. I remember it was unintentional, but it happened. My focus as I stepped up and I stood on the stage and we were pray- you got, all the overseers were up here and they prayed over me and declared me as the pastor of City Lights and it was a great day. But I remember the next year of living in this internal turmoil of everything's based on me building the church. And I have to become Jared Ruddy. I have to do things like he did because everybody loved Jared. And he's exciting and I'm different, Right? And so what I did is I took all my affections and all my attention off of Christ and what he was doing and placed it right here in my ability. And I had no joy that year. I mean, I wore a smile every day. I preached pretty decent messages, I guess. I don't know. I did my job. But I was focused on what I could do 
and not the fact that in Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Does that make sense? I lost my joy that year because I wasn't abiding in his presence. I was focusing on how can I perform a task. I, I won't forget that September of that year, I went by myself to a conference, even though I was trying to get anybody to come along with me, and nobody went with me. And I went by myself to a conference, and I don't even know what they preached on. But in the middle of worship, God's overwhelming presence and his indescribable love filled my heart. And that focus inward was gone. And I became confident, not in my ability, but in his love. And so joy returned to my life that day. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, if you don't have joy when you wake up in the morning, it's because you are either looking inward or you're looking to the side and not to his presence in that moment. You're not looking at what Ben preached at the other week, being robbed of the ability to give blogs and to speak publicly because of a personal fear. But when he saw himself as the treasure, he was able to stand up here and preach an amazing message, not because Ben is super awesome, but because God sees him as his treasure. And he was able, and he is super awesome. He's awesome. Does it make sense? I am able to do this job not because Jesse is talented, but because God put me in a position, and I need to just trust that and have joy in that. If he wants to remove me, great. But in the meantime, I'm full of joy. And even if he removes me, I'll be full of joy because it's in his presence that there's joy forevermore. Make sense? How do we lose joy? We are to see his kingdom here. If we are to see his kingdom here, we need to be the church that abides in the love of Christ. Not on Sunday mornings, but all week long. We go to work, we abide in his presence. We take it with us. We see ourselves as he sees us. We abide in his joy. We go home, we abide in his joy. The reason we do this, though, isn't just for our joy but it's for a city who longs for real joy. What would happen is if our church, just, let's just say just this church, but that's not God's call. God's called the church. But what would happen if just this church lived in a place of constant joy? What would the city look like? How quickly do you think this place would pack out? So a few weeks ago, a couple months ago now, Pastor Dan Moeller was here. How many of you guys were here for when Dan Moeller was here? Um, Dan Moeller was able to be here with us, and I was actually just talking to the other Will wherever he went, and he said for the, no, wait, oh, no, the other Will. The other, we got two Wills now in the house. It's confusing, but it's great. So the other Will was talking to him, and he said for the first five minutes, I was just staring at Dan's smile like, what is with this guy? And then I realized it's real. Dan is a guy who carries the joy of the Lord everywhere he goes, and he preached that day of having nobody steal his joy. You can't offend him because he's confident in who he is in Christ. He's confident that he hasn't, he's not falling into secret sin. He's not doing wrong things on the weekend. He is living in just being a son, being a servant of God, not, not a servant as a slave, but a servant who knows the Father's plan, right? 
And when you live in that place, when you abide in Christ on a daily basis, and you're doing the will of the Father, nobody can steal your joy. And so you see Dan Moeller come in here on a, on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, and his smile's so big because it's years of living in that place of joy, it's kind of creepy to those of us who don't live in that place. Right? I'm just being real. And it's awesome, though. When you sit with them, you're like, this is what the presence feels like. This is the guy who gets the presence. I want to be a church not of Dan Muller's, but of people who get the presence. People who abide in that place where you can't offend me, you can't hurt me, because I know who I am in Christ, I know the call that he's got for me, and I know how good he is, and I know that his presence is better than life. His presence is the best thing. I want to be a church that lives in that place. Make sense? So often, the church in America is not recognized by the fruit of the Spirit, or by our joy, or by our gentleness, None of those things that are the fruit of the Spirit. So often, we're recognized by this church lady legalism. You guys remember the church lady sketches back on Saturday Night Live back in the day? Right? We're recognized by the people who are against everything. That is never, if you look in here, that's never the responsibility of the church. What is the responsibility of the church is to preach the good news of the gospel that brings unexplainable joy. Now, yeah, there's life change. There's, there's things that are inside the kingdom. That's what that works of the flesh versus gifts of the Spirit, right? There's a big difference. But our job isn't to call out works of the flesh. Our job is to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. That's you and I's responsibility. I want to become a church that's so full of joy that all other churches are like, hey, how are you guys so happy? Like, what's going on at your church? And then we share that. Like, hey, this is the kingdom of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Right? It's pretty simple stuff, but yet it's so foreign to the natural mind. Let's worship. I don't want to talk anymore. I feel like I've said everything. <laughs> just being, let's just worship because, because your true self is in his presence. Abide in him this week. Abide in him. Let's worship together.